Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for this day that we have to come together to celebrate um, celebrate your presence with us, to celebrate the fact that, uh, that although you have ascended to the right hand of the Father, you have not left us here, but you have sent your Spirit to comfort us, to guide us, to dwell within us. And so today I pray that we worship in your Spirit, we fellowship in your Spirit, and that we would receive from you by your Spirit all that you have planned for us. And so we commit ourselves and our church to you today, Father. We ask that we would be walking in your will as we listen to what you are saying to us. And so I pray for those who have come here uh, who are needing some encouragement, and I pray that in this space, Lord, um, that whatever baggage or burden they are carrying, that you would remove that from them and replace it with your peace and your presence. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So there's a lot of difficult things about having children, as anyone who has children would know. But I'm going to say that one of the hardest things about having kids for Lori and myself was actually trying to come up with their names. Do you ever think about what an awesome responsibility it is as a parent to name your child? And I, I couldn't get over that. You know, the first, every child that we've had, I go, this is such a big responsibility. They're going to be stuck with this name for life unless we do such a horrible job of it that they go later and change their name legally. Like, my parents really messed up. They named me whatever. I'm not going to say a name in case somebody named their kid that. Can you imagine? So, you know, but you know, they, you know, you don't want to do such a bad job naming your child that they later in life are like, I hate this name, I need to get it changed. And so we were, you know, we actually really agonized over what to name them. I can remember really long car rides, like up to see my parents, and we'd spend like the entire three-hour ride going over names. What name, what name, what name? And uh, all of our kids' names have meaning to them. That was the other thing. It wasn't just that we wanted the names to sound good or, or to, you know, just roll off the tongue nicely. It's that we wanted them to have some meaning. And so Ryan, uh, our oldest son, his name comes from an old Irish word that means little king. And the reason that I wanted him to be called little king was that I wanted, I never wanted Ryan to be a follower. I wanted him to be a leader. And especially I wanted him to lead in the ways of Jesus, right? And to, to bring other people in that as well. And so Ryan was little king. And Ava, Ava, uh, our, our middle uh, uh, daughter, she's a variation on the, on the word Eve, which can mean life. And her middle name is Elise, which is a form of Elizabeth, which means dedicated to God. So Ava, Elise, means life dedicated to God. By the third child, it's getting a little harder, right? Um, <laughs> and so Connor was, was chosen as a name because it fit well with Ryan and Ava, we thought. But Connor's middle name is Nathan, which means gift, because we really saw Connor as a gift from God to us um, after some, some tough times with, with stuff. So, so Connor was a gift. So Connor Nathan is, is a gift. And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that our kids' names had some meaning to them. And, it, you know, I'll, you probably know in Scripture that names have meaning. The names of children will often refer to what God will do or something about who God is. And so when Isaiah, and that's our text for today, Isaiah 9, when he prophesies about this child that's going to be born and given to us, he gives us four titles for this child, right? And this is in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6. He says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince 
of peace. These titles, these names are going to reveal to us what God will do and who God is. Today we're looking at specifically at the title, Mighty God. Jesus was prophesied here to be both Mighty God and to reveal Mighty God to us. So I want to mention as we get started here that the Hebrew word that we translate Mighty God is, is El Gibor. And uh, I didn't take uh, biblical Hebrew, I took Greek, not Hebrew, so I might be mispronouncing that. Don't like, Mike, my, I don't know. No, you're Hebrew? No? Okay. Um, so, but I do know that's El Gibor. And uh, we can read that. That, that um, El kind of is always referring to the one true God. And then Gibor means the hero or the champion. And so we can read this as Jesus will be God the champion or he will be God the hero, which I think is a really cool way to see Jesus as the champion. Right? That's where if you ever hear someone talking about Jesus as the champion, that's some of where they're getting this from, is this um, title for him, the champion, the hero, the one who's powerful enough to rescue us from the domain of darkness and bring us to the kingdom of light. And it brings us all the way back to the promise of God, the promise that God made to that spiritual being in the Garden of Eden, the one who appeared as a serpent, the one who tempted Eve, when God said that one day someone would be born of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, and that one who will crush the head of the serpent is Jesus, the champion of heaven, who came from heaven to take on flesh, to be born of a virgin, to crush the power of Satan. His mighty power rescued humanity from the curse of sin and the curse of darkness. So we're going to look today at how the power of God was displayed in the life of Jesus and how we can still rely on the power of Jesus because he can do more than we might ask or think according to his power at work within us. So we're going to look at why, why, why did Isaiah receive this title, Mighty God? What, what is the prophecy in this that Jesus fulfilled? Well, we start right at the beginning, at the conception of Jesus. We see God's mighty power on display even before Jesus is born. There's a supernatural work that is taking place as the Virgin Mary conceives Jesus in her womb. Luke records this stunning miracle, recording the words of the angel to Mary, saying this, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so right away we're seeing the mighty power of God displayed in this supernatural miracle the virgin conceives a child. What interests me here though is not so much the supernatural miracle as as incredible as that is, but what interests me is how the power of God is displayed through God's willingness to lay aside power, to become vulnerable and weak. The most powerful thing about this all-powerful God is that he can, as Paul says in Philippians 2, humble himself, give up his divine privileges, and be made a man. One author puts it like this. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had become, he who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent on the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created, developing eyebrows and elbows and kidneys and a spleen, stretching out against the walls of the womb in the amniotic fluid and all the stuff that makes us human. God had come near, and he didn't come to us as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but he came as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a carpenter, and the hands that first held the creator of all things were the hands of a peasant girl. 
Stephen Charnock says that a God upon a throne should be an infant in a cradle. The thundering creator be a weeping babe and a suffering man are such expressions of mighty power as well as humble love that they astonish men upon the earth and the angels in heaven. When the most powerful being in all of creation, when the creator of all things chooses to limit himself, to take the form of his creation, we see immense power being displayed and yet immense restraint. As Greek historian Thucydides said, of all manifestations of power, restraint impresses men the most. When Jesus willingly chose to humble himself and empty himself, we see this incredible mixture of great power and great love. And then what we see is the Holy Spirit working powerfully through Jesus, who is both fully human and fully divine. Buddha had given up his divine prerogatives for a time so that through his life and through his death, we could be made right with God. Jesus' life and ministry were unlike anything anyone had ever seen. There was so much authority and power in his words and in his deeds that it proved that Jesus was from God and was the Son of God. God's mighty power was displayed in Jesus' life. And that's another reason why Isaiah prophesied that he would be mighty God. But it's so interesting because when we think of mighty God, again, we might think of that, you know, throwing the lightning bolt down to smite your enemies or coming in as a a blinding flash of light to, to conquer everything in your path. But how God chose to display his mighty power was to come as a as an infant, not in a palace, but in a, in a manger, to an average family, a, maybe a poor family. That's how God chose to come. And then God's mighty power was displayed through the childhood of this, of this baby, of this, he grew, and then God's mighty power is displayed in this human body. Let's just go through some of God's mighty power displayed in Jesus' life. We'll we'll go through some stories. The gospel writer Luke tells us that everyone who saw Jesus cast out a man's demon was amazed and they said to each other, what words these are. With authority and with power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. Another time, some men came to Jesus carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and they lowered the man through a roof to reach Jesus. Luke tells us the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. He healed the man and everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe and they praised God exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Even creation obeyed Jesus. Remember when the disciples and Jesus were crossing the Sea of Galilee and a huge storm came up and the disciples thought the ship might go down in the storm, but Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence be still. The wind stopped. There was great calm and the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples were more terrified of Jesus stopping the storm than of the storm itself because, again, I always try and imagine myself in that situation and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, if there was this massive, think of like the most intense storm you've ever been in, right? The darkness of the sky, the pounding of the rain, the lightning, the wind, and if Jesus said, silence, be still, and all of a sudden it was blue skies. Yeah, that'd be terrifying. That would be absolutely terrifying. You go, this is a man who has power. That is mighty God. Wherever Jesus went in this fallen world, he was constantly meeting opposition, whether it was in the form of sickness or spiritual ignorance or demonization or even death itself. And yet as the gospels reveal, we see the power of mighty God constantly at work in and through him, pushing back on the forces at work in the fallen world. And it's not Jesus unleashing his own power, but God by his spirit working in and through him. 
It's the mighty God at work in him. And this is sort of the interesting mystery of the incarnation, is that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine, and that he, he operates out of his humanity but with the fullness of the Spirit. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. So we see the mighty power of God at conception, and we see the mighty power of God at work in Jesus' life, and next we see the mighty power of God at work on the cross. We've seen it in Jesus' life. And I want us to notice something about power, about how God uses power. His power is displayed through weakness. Again, the conception and birth of Jesus. Mighty God humbles himself, becoming the most vulnerable of all things, a fetus in a womb and an infant dependent on his mother for survival. Later, the power of God is displayed through through human flesh. The mighty power of God working through a human body, this, this man who looked like any other man able to say to the wind and the waves, silence be still. So this mighty power in this very weak human body, a body that got weak, that needed sleep, that needed food, that was human like any other human body, a body that could be nailed to a cross and killed, and yet a body that was able to speak to the wind and the waves and to turn water to wine and to heal the sick. God's mighty power comes through what looks like weakness. We see God's incredible power demonstrated through incredible restraint. And finally, we see God's mighty power at work through this incredibly humbling act, humiliating act, if we want to put it this way, that Jesus was led to the cross and led to death. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Sometimes people struggle with this idea of God's power. They think, wouldn't it prove Jesus' validity more if Jesus had escaped capture and returned with an army to crush his enemies? Wouldn't that prove that God is on his side if he was able to to come back and steamroll the Roman Empire and set up his own kingdom and and dominate his enemies? Wouldn't that prove the, the power of God? But Jesus tells us that there's a different form of power. There's the worldly power that says, yes, what power is is to dominate your enemies, to crush them and trample them to death. And what God says, he says, you know what actual power is? Power is the willingness to die for your enemies. Do you remember what Jesus says as he's nailed to the cross? After being whipped and beaten, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a greater form of power than the power that says, let's dominate the enemy. Let's trample them into submission. And Jesus tells us that no one takes his life from him, but that he willingly lays it down for our sake. Jesus says, no person takes my life from me, I give my own life freely. I have the right to give my life and I have the right to get it back again. This is what the Father told me. And that's what real power is, to give your life for another, to willingly lay your life down, not for people who love you, but for people who despised you. Because in Romans it says that while we were still God's enemies, he died for us. And that's power. It looks foolish to the world. It looks weak to the world. It's a, that's counterintuitive. You say, You'll never going, you're never going to withstand the cultural pressures if you lay yourself down. You've got to stand up, fight back, hit back. If they hit you hard, hit them ten times harder. 
And sometimes we can fall into that mindset as well. The Apostle Paul says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed to destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And so we are under some pressure in our culture as a church, and there are people who, who sort of say, we need, to, we need to hit back, we need to fight hard, I go, but what is the way of the manger? And what is the way of the cross? It looks counterintuitive to lay your life down for your enemy. It looks weak and it looks foolish to die for someone who shakes their fist at you. Yet that is what the power of God reveals to us. That's what power is. And here's what happened on the cross. Although to the world's eyes the cross looked like foolishness, it looked like weakness, and it looked like defeat, the mighty power of God was displayed on that cross. Here's what transpired on the cross according to Colossians. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So let's just go quickly what happened on the cross according to Colossians. First and most importantly, God forgave us of all our sin. The infinite weight of sin he bore on the cross, a weight none of us could bear. He forgave our sins and canceled the charges against us. Only an infinite being, that is God himself, could take on and atone for an infinite weight of sin the, way, the sin of all the world. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And when he forgave our sins, he next made us alive with Christ. He says, God made you alive with Christ. He took those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, and he made them alive spiritually by their union with Christ. It says, God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so very much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Again, picture this. That as Jesus is hanging on the cross and his breath is, is leaving him, and the crowds are mocking him. And it looks to, to everyone there as though this movement that Jesus has started is dead because the leader is dead. He's dying. He's going to be done. But what they didn't see, what, what was happening, was all of this was happening. We were forgiven. We are made alive. And finally, on the cross, he disarmed all the spiritual forces that are arrayed against us. So that while these dark spiritual forces may still attempt to harass us or distract us or grab at us, they have limited ability to do so. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them by his victory on the cross. They've been stripped of the power by the power of the cross. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is why Paul says that the 
cross of Christ is the power of God because the cross changes everything. For those who will submit to Christ and follow him, the mighty power of God forever changes their lives. They're forgiven, they're made alive, and the enemy has no hold on them. So the mighty power of God is displayed on the cross, but it doesn't stop there. We see God's mighty power displayed in the resurrection when God raised Jesus from the dead. There's never been a greater demonstration of power than when God raised Jesus from the dead and declared him to be the Son of God in power. It says in Scripture, he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now here's an amazing truth. That same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in those of us who believe. And I know that that's a hard thing for us to believe and grab a hold of. But this is why, the, why Paul tells the Ephesians that he's praying for them so that they would understand this in some way, that they would understand this breathtaking truth. He prays for them saying, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's power. That's God's resurrection power at work in you. And if you are a believer in Jesus, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in you to do immeasurably more than you might ask or think. And what is, to me, one of the most important things about this resurrection power is it means that God has not become distant from us. God came to dwell among us in the flesh. And then even when Jesus ascended to heaven, he asked the Father to send of the Holy Spirit. And now God does not dwell with us, but he dwells within us. By the Holy Spirit, by his Spirit. And that same power, that same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same power at work in us. That is an incredible claim Yet it's true, as Paul says it again in Romans 8, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. This is the power of God at work in us. And this is why we could say Jesus is still our champion. He is our hero. Jesus is not a hero who came and won the victory and then left. His power continues to work in us. He continues to intercede for us. His power is still available to his followers to be the light in the world, to transform a dark world, and to bring many to salvation. And I'm going to close the sermon today by talking about this ability of Jesus to continue working in our lives. It's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing process in our lives. Jesus is the champion whose power is at work in every area of our life. So I'll just go through a few of these things. Jesus is the champion over sin and the champion of forgiveness. There is no sin too great for Jesus to forgive. There is no life too messed up for Jesus to restore. If anyone calls on the name of Jesus, they will be saved. Romans 10.13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when we're saved, our sin is removed from us. It says he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. I remember doing a step five with, uh, with a man one time from the, uh, the addictions house. And a step five is sort of your, your full life confession. And I'd done a few of those and, and you know, kind of when you, when you come out of, they're coming from more of a secular place and you're supposed to just kind of listen to the confession and, and you don't have to get all, you know, religious on them. 
And sometimes that works fine. And sometimes you get a guy like the one guy I had and he had, I really encouraged him. I said, hey, I want you to go to those real dark places because if you don't go to the darkest of dark places, this isn't going to work. And so he unloaded his whole life confession. And at the end he said, even if these people forgive me, and I don't think they will, but even if they forgave me, I'll never forgive myself. And I thought, you know what, that's exactly the thing. You, you can't forgive yourself, can you? And, I, and so I said, you know, you know what, you, you're not going to be able to forgive yourself. And, and some of the stuff was really dark. It was bad stuff. And I said, but I, I know, I said, I'm a pastor. That's, you're here in my church, so can I tell you about Jesus who, who can forgive you? And if the one who created you can forgive you, then you can move into forgiving yourself because he's forgiven you. But you need someone higher than you to forgive you. And he said, I need that. He's like, I'm, he was crushed by the weight of the guilt he was carrying. And I just, I said, hey, can you just say, Lord Jesus, I, I believe that you've taken my sin from me and I, I need to experience your forgiveness. I believe in this. And as soon as he prayed with me and he confessed some specific things and he said, he says, incredible, it's like, this, it's like something has come off of me. I'm free. And so he still had a long road ahead of him, but that was the starting point. And, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I can't forgive you. The people you harmed might not forgive you. You probably can't forgive yourself, but if Jesus forgives you, there's something that happens that frees you to move forward. Next, Jesus is the champion over sickness and death. In, this, in his life, we see that obviously Jesus healed many who were sick. He even raised to life some who had died. And the early church, and you know, our church, continues to do the works Jesus did. Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will do the work that I have done. That includes the healing and, and the deliverance and, the, and all of that stuff. And so we continue to see the power of Jesus to heal the sick by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've seen Jesus heal the sick. I've seen incredible uh, manifestations of healing in, in physical bodies. And so I can say, Jesus is the champion over sickness and disease today. But on the other hand, I've also prayed for people to be healed that I believe need to be healed, and they were not healed. I've seen young moms die of cancer, and, and we've pr we prayed diligently for her to be healed. And we said, if anyone needs to be healed, it is her. She is a young, she has three kids if there's anyone who needs the healing power of the Lord, it's this mom, and she wasn't healed. She passed. Yet Jesus still remains the champion, and here's why. Because even when we grow old and die, and even when sickness leads to death, Jesus is the champion over death. We remember that even those who are healed in this life will still one day die in this life, yet death is not the end. The Apostle Paul reminds us, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? So even in death, Jesus is the champion because this life is not the end. 
Jesus is the champion over evil spiritual powers, the the evil powers of a spiritual realm, the domain of darkness. They were defeated and humiliated through the cross of Jesus. Yet scripture warns us these things still prowl around looking for ways to harass and manipulate and control God's people, right? Peter says, be be alert. The devil prowls around looking to devour and he's writing to God's people. The Apostle Paul says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you can stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits of the heavenly places. Yet when we walk with Jesus, we have nothing to fear. Because what does it say in Colossians? He's trampled them. He's defeated them. They're under his feet. They may prowl around and they may harass and they may be looking for ways to manipulate or control God's people. But at the end of the day, in the name of Jesus, we have the power and the authority because they are under his feet. Jesus is the champion over our hearts. Jesus reigns over our hearts because by his spirit in us, he convicts us of sin. He convicts us of the things that we are, we are supposed to be doing and he does this so we can be made more like him so we can walk closer with him and have the fruit of the Spirit come to life in us. And I have testimonies of people who say, I was so bitter for so many years until the Holy Spirit showed me something and I released that bitterness and now I walk in freedom. That's Jesus being the champion over over your heart by his Spirit. As Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And finally, Jesus is the champion over our circumstances. I'm going to give you two passages of Scripture that speak to Jesus' ability to be the champion no matter what we face in life. Both are from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. And the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter, he's in chains. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And he writes these words, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is written by a man who I think is experiencing this supernatural peace as he is in chains, as he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And he's saying, but there's this peace that comes from Christ. And then he says this, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So Jesus is the champion over our circumstances if we fix our eyes on him. And again, it's amazing. I've talked with people who are going through things in life that I go, that would, that would shatter me. And yet they have this supernatural ability to say, I'm at peace. I look to Jesus and I feel okay. Now, they're not naive. They know that things in life are are difficult and probably going to get harder. But they go, even even though life is hard and it's going to get harder, there's something within me that's at peace. It's a supernatural peace. It's unexplainable. So Jesus is the champion over our circumstances. Jesus is mighty God, champion of heaven, mighty on our behalf. He's our champion who makes a way for us to become children of God. He's the champion over sin, over death, over wounds, over sickness, over circumstance. In Christ, we have all that we need. 
Paul says, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. So I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know what your circumstances you're in or what events have transpired. But I can tell you this. I can tell you that Jesus is mighty over all creation. He is the champion who set us free and who continues to display his power in us. Last week, Pastor Jason said that Advent begins in the dark. And that is a profound truth. We who believe that God took on flesh, we believe the incarnation is about light coming into the darkness. Well, we're a people that are well acquainted with darkness. That's not to say we're pessimists who only see darkness around us. But on the other hand, we're not naive optimists who only see good things despite reality saying otherwise. We're not pessimists or optimists. What we are is we're a people of hope. We understand that there is darkness. Some of us are really well acquainted with that darkness, the injustice, sickness, early death of a loved one, financial loss, our own struggles with sin or addiction. We know the darkness very well, yet we're not without hope because the light has shone in the darkness. The light has come into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So whatever you're going through this season, remember that Jesus is mighty God. The victory is assured. He is with us by his spirit now dwelling within us and we will be raised with him in the life to come. This is the mighty power of God. I don't think Isaiah knew all this when he said Jesus would be mighty God or when he said the Savior to come would be mighty God. But we get the benefit of hindsight and we can fill in all the gaps and we can say look at how mighty our God is. Look at how mighty our Jesus is. Let's celebrate him in communion. As we approach the Lord's table, in light of this uh, upside-down vision of mighty God uh, ringing in our ears, I'm, uh, my mind is drawn to a, a Christmas folk song from the 90s, and um, I'm going to use it to, to, to guide our thoughts today. It's called Cry of a Tiny Babe by Bruce Coburn. Mary grows a child without the help of a man. Joseph gets upset because he doesn't understand. Angel comes to Joseph in a powerful dream and says, God did this and you're part of his scheme. Joseph comes to Mary with his hat in his hand and says, forgive me, I thought you'd been with some other man. She says, what if I had been? But I wasn't anyway. And guess what? I felt the baby kick today. Like a stone on the surface of a still river, driving the ripples on forever, redemption rips through the surface of time in the cry of a tiny babe. The child is born in the fullness of time. Three wise astrologers take note of the signs, come to pay their respects to the fragile little king, get pretty close to wrecking everything. For the governing body of the Holy Land is that of Herod, a paranoid man. Who, when he hears there's a baby born king of the Jews, sends death squads to kill all male children under two. But that same bright angel 
warns the parents in a dream and they head off to the border and they get away clean. Like a stone on the surface of a still river, driving the ripples on forever, redemption rips through the surface of time in the cry of a tiny babe. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And in that meal, he took bread and he blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Behold your mighty king, born of questionable birth to parents who struggled with difficulty and confusion and the mess of living, who became a refugee running for their lives. This king, mighty, given for you. Let's partake. Verse 3, the child is born in the fullness of time. Three wise astrologers take note of the sign. I did that verse already. Let's do verse 3 instead. There are others who know of this miracle birth. The humblest of people discover their worth. You see, it isn't to the palace that the Christ child comes. It's to shepherds, street people, hookers and bums. The message is clear if you have ears to hear. Forgiveness is given for your guilt and your fears. It's a Christmas gift you don't have to buy. There's a future shining in a baby's eyes. After supper, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he gave it to them and he said, take and drink all of this. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. Let's take and let's drink together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift. Thank you for this mighty King who meets us exactly where we're at and gives us what we need to face another day. Amen.